Hey everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. They demand my alter ego, but I won't go. Because On today's show, we have one of my heroes. <laughs> he is a political strategist, political philosopher. He's a thinker. He's a, he exists in his own space. Uh, funny story. When I got married in 2005, uh, I was in charge of booking our honeymoon. So not knowing anything about honeymoons, I asked someone at the state attorney's office who I worked with and they said they went to St. Lucia. So I ponied up the money I could get together to take my wife, Dina, to St. Lucia after we got married. And it was one of the biggest storms that ever came through St. Lucia when we were there. So we spent the majority of the time in our room and none of the channels were English except for one. And the one that I turned on right there looking back at me was Joe Hobson on TV. Have I told you that story before? No, you haven't. It had to do with Eileen Warnos. I know it. I know it. And uh, so 2005 in a foreign land, one English speaking <laughs> channel during a cataclysmic storm <laughs> And the only thing I had to comfort me was my wife and Joe Hobson. So thank you for coming by. Good to be here, Josh. Am I I on? You're on. Okay. You're on. Um, So this is kind of a poor timing on my part, but if there's anybody that I'd want to talk today's election with, it would be you. Obviously, it would be better if we were having this a week before or a week after because it might age better, but maybe it'll be interesting to see how close we get it. So... Um, you're a Boston guy originally. Well, I was born and raised in Philadelphia, educated in Boston. Okay. And Hobson, is that Irish? Is that? It's, we're 100% Irish, but Hobson is an English name. Okay. Now you're one of, I know you've got a few brothers, right? One of eight boys, one of nine children. Really? Yeah. So you must be Catholic. I'm Catholic. Okay. Irish Catholic. Proud love it. Where do you fall in the lineup of eight to nine people? I'm like Robert Kennedy, the seventh of nine children. I'm not the seventh son though. I'm the seventh child. My brother Jimmy is the seventh son. Okay. And so uh, did, did you grow up in the house with all of them or had some of them moved out by the time you came about? No, we pretty much grew up all together. Okay. One big. Now, I know your brother Pete too, sure. and he's a he's a great attorney locally great here in man. Tampa. Um, he always has funny stories about you uh, <laughs> calling into radio shows and all oh, these boy. nicknames that he likes to tell me that used to go by. Sure. Um, so growing up in Philadelphia, Irish Catholic mm-hmm. – bunch of brothers did it did it fit the uh fairy tale of that fight stickball all that good stuff uh it was idyllic i mean we were a chaotic kind of clan as you can imagine but you know eight boys one girl all of us uh, baby boomers born between 1946 and 1962 in the wake of uh, post-war war to america what president were you born during Dwight D. Eisenhower. Okay. He was a pretty good one, right? By modern standards. Yeah. I mean, we're setting the bar really low these days. But uh, did you ever see that documentary, Why We Fight? No. Uh, It starts off with Eisenhower talking about the danger of the armament of the United States. And it kind of plays into the whole 9-11 and kind of blowback of what we're doing in other countries. And great, great documentary. Now, what did your parents do? My father was a dentist and my mother was a registered nurse. Oh, wow. My father was a real entrepreneur, though. An entrepreneurial right. dentist in the, what year were you born? 1956. In 56, mm-hmm. okay. In Philly? Philadelphia. Okay. Philadelphia area, yeah. Were they getting paid decently back then, or was it more of a... 
My father was able to raise a family of nine on about, I think he was making about six figures a year. And wow. Yeah, just, but that was different. It was a different era back then. Were you considered wealthy kids, poor kids, middle class? People thought we were rich because we lived in a big Yeah, but that many estate. mouths, you're splitting the pie uh, a lot of ways. I would say, to quote Timothy Geithner in his great memoir, Stress Test, we were not destitute. We were of means. Okay. But I, wealthy kids vacationed in Europe and got cars on the 16th birthday. Uh, I never regarded myself as wealthy, but it was, it was a different scale back then. There was a middle class in America back then. Was politics discussed in your house? Absolutely. And both mom and dad or one or the other? Or? Um, well, you know, I have to say the name John F. Kennedy because we were Irish Catholics and we patterned ourselves for the Kennedys. Kennedys were worshipped and Nixon was the Antichrist yeah. <laughs> back then. Yeah. How old were you? In, in so six, so you were pr- pr- early teenager during yeah, the assassination I was, and Nixon and all that stuff, I, Vietnam? I really, I'm fortunate I did not remember... John F. Kennedy's assassination. I remember Bobby's very well. How many years? Was that just like a year or two after? Uh, Bobby's was 1968. John's was 1963. So five years after. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, what about Chappaquiddick? Do you remember, remember that? Chaparrapa. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a basketball camp. That was the June of 1969. It was the same weekend that we landed the Man on the Moon, believe it or not. That's a rough decade for the Kennedys. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's, that's that's a contender for worst decade well, ever. They had for... one where Joe Kick and I mean, Kick was killed in a plane accident. Joe died in a plane accident. Rosemary was lobotomized. I'm a real Kennedy scholar, by the way. I, I know you are. I know you are. You you bring <laughs> it up quite book. often. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's almost too odd to be coincidence. Is there is there any darker dealings there, or do you just think it's... Well, I mean, you know, you, you take a, an Irish Catholic family that grew up in the 1960s. When you grew up in the 1960s, you either wanted to be a congressman or a rock star. Right. You had the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and, and John F. Kennedy. And it was... No, I mean, even Teddy, for all his flaws, I love him like an uncle. Now, I'll Joe was a little him. bit of a darker character, wasn't he? There's the Forgotten this... Kennedy? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Joe was... They say, you know, folklore has that Joe went on that mission, which was kind of a kamikaze to uh, Best Jack, who had at that point acquired the PT-109 heroics. Right. And there's a great- The father's Joe, though, right? Joseph P is the father. His first son was Joseph P. Okay. Junior. I'm thinking of Senior. Wasn't Senior like a bootlegger? And Joseph P. Kennedy was an interesting guy. He was of the Roosevelt era, uh, was ambassador to Great Britain, um, like many of that era. Charlie Lindbergh side with uh, Hitler. Sided with Neville Chamberlain. Right. And what didn't want to stand up to the Nazi threat and the Nazi menace in World War II. Okay. Okay. So uh, high school, were you a basketball player? Yes. Tall guy. What are you, 6'4 six, 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 in your four. prime? 6'5 in your yeah, prime? 6'4. Yeah, gravity beats <laughs> us up over time. It sure does. Um, would you, were you center? No. Uh, well, I played freshman year. And then I discovered beer and student council politics and kind of drifted into that and just played intramural from that point on. And where'd you go to college? Boston College. Did you play anything there? No. How were your years in Boston? Great. The undergrad was great. Law school, as you know, was grim. You're, you're, I almost feel like if, if Boston could be made, made into a, a, personification it would be you you i don't know if that's fair or not but i you you just seem like a throwback to all the the great things about boston well a lot of people think i'm from boston i am not i'm from philadelphia there's a great book called of quaker and puritans because we were a quaker city philadelphia boston or puritan 
But the only team I root for out of Boston are the Boston College Eagles. I loathe the Celtics. Really? I can't stand them. Who's your Wait, team? Uh, Philadelphia 76 right? oh, Okay. Even though Bill Russell was a great, is a great man. Yeah. And Red Auerbach was the first major sports owner to integrate the sports <laughs> Have you ever noticed that. with basketball, there seems to be a gravity with thinkers, intellectuals that you may, don't really necessarily have in other sports? Uh, I mean, even with Phil Jackson and who's the coach he used to play for the Bulls and now he's the coach. Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr. Yeah, and, and Greg, what's his name? Yeah, I, I don't feel like you get that in other sports like you do in basketball. No, you know, well, it's, you know, recently it's predominated. It's an African-American minority kind of urban sport, which I think is great. But I mean, I, basketball was a religion where I grew up in the Philadelphia area. I mean, yeah. Villanova, Sunny Dove, St. John's, Howard Porter, Big Five basketball. It was Basketball was to Philadelphia what football is to Texas and Florida. It right. was really a religion. Now, is Pete your older or younger Pete's brother? my older brother. Okay. And were you and he close growing up? We were all close, sure. Yeah. Are you the only two attorneys? Uh, no, there's four attorneys. Really? Yeah. Oh, my Lord. What are the other? Well, I know Pete does. Five, actually. Uh, Hobby, Billy, and David. What do they do? Billy uh, is a solo practitioner in Philadelphia. Hobby does a little bit of immigration and criminal law. Hobby's a great lawyer. And uh, David uh, is more of a corporate guy. David works okay. for, uh, he worked for Santander. And now he got a new in-house job. He's a real lawyer, as I like to say. A real lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he gets a paycheck every week. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, everybody's still alive and kicking? I'm alive and kicking. What about your parents? My mother turned 100 in October. Are you kidding me? And my father died in 1971 at the age of 53 of a heart attack. Oh, wow. 53. You know, right around the time my dad passed, I think you were one of the first people to call me or reach out to me. And I sure. always appreciated that. Sure. I wanted to say thank you for that. So your mom's 100. My mother's 100 years old. And how, how is she? Is she with she it? I mean, is, is she alert. with it? She's, She's sharp. responsive, but she is not communicative about it. In the spring of 2019, she unfortunately broke her hip, which yeah. is, you know, is usually the, the circle the of death knell, yeah. And then after that, we think she might have sustained some sort of seizure stroke. or stroke. But at yeah. that age, they don't really... About a hundred. I mean, there's not a lot of stuff you need to say, right? I mean, it's kind of like you said it all, and you know, she was born in 1920. That's insane. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, I mean, good genes, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what the doctors went on. Yeah. So then, where did you go to law school? Went to Boston College Law School. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, how did you find law school? Did you enjoy it? You said it was grim, prohibitively competitive. Yeah. And I did mean, you excel? Did you rise to the top, <laughs> fall to the bottom, kind of run in the middle? I graduated. Uh, well, that's that's you know what do you call what do you call the what did you, you posted that today? What do you call the last person in there? A lawyer. A lawyer. Yeah. Uh, BC undergrad was was you know you could if you studied do well there. When I got to BC law, everybody it seems went to Williams or Harvard or Brown, and it's kind of like going to Penn State when you're all state. Yeah. You know, everybody is the all state there. It was really smart. It was competitive law school. It was a great law school. Um, and I love what I learned there. But, you know, and I'm not the kind of guy who looks back with regrets, but I, I, I don't wonder. Maybe I squandered it a little bit. I, I kind of got my doors blown off. I went to law school right after college. Yeah. I was 21 years old. Yeah. And there were some guys that were 25, 26, and they were on it. They were with it. <laughs> what years would this have been, though? 78, 81, back when it used to be a profession. Right, and but you're also right in the middle of disco and drugs. So if you stepped off the line, you could have squawked. <laughs> well, in '81, as you may or may not recall, there was a great recession engulfing the country. So I graduated in a recession, 
And uh, yeah, the 70s were a very vapid decade. And of course, John Lennon was assassinated in 1980. And that was kind of a drag. I was born during Carter. Of course, I don't remember him. Because I was too young. In in retrospect, I love him. And to see how he's carried himself post-presidency, I think he's all time in that regard. Uh, But, you know, my first recollections were Reagan. Uh, I remember I remember Oliver North and watching Oliver North scandal during the summer while my mom was ironing clothes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that was that was, you know, a time when we were very scared of Russia. Uh, the nuclear threat was very Absolutely. much front and center. Right. Um, I remember like Muammar Gaddafi and, you know, all these types of things that were going on back then. And to see where we're at and where the Republican Party is. Well, a great movie came out in 1983 called The Day After on ABC. I'll never forget it. I it think about, I remember that. We had a great apprehension of nuclear annihilation back then. Wasn't there something? Wasn't that, was that the one where the president's like on Air Force One and they're having to like avoid nuclear clouds and all that? There's... I, I don't recall the details okay. of it, but okay. it was of that. Uh, that was the storyline. You know? I, I mean, it was a it was a th- threat that I felt. I mean, I was afraid. It was funny. I, growing up in the eighties, there's two things I was afraid of, and it was because of Reagan and Miami Vice. I was pretty sure <laughs> that either I was going to die of a nuclear war or shot up by an Uzi during a drug deal gone bad on a wharf somewhere. Which, hmm. you know, at ten, I didn't find yeah. myself in yeah. too many drug deals on wharfs but you know to the way that tv kind of puts that oh and then jaws also if i was in a pool after dark sure if i was in a pool <laughs> after dark that was going to be the enemy so sure do you ever think about politics going uh, into well it's funny you should say that in the earlier part of my career i very much aspired for that and uh, i've always been a political junkie but you know like you i am a practicing lawyer and i, I make a living uh, theoretically yeah putatively yeah. purportedly as a lawyer um, I ran in 1980, excuse me, 1993, I ran for a small office called District Justice in Pennsylvania. And believe it or not, I ran as a Republican. Really? I changed my registration because it was- Was that a strategy or- Yeah, yeah. Well, well it was a nonpartisan office, but I figured to have any chance I had to win, secure the Republican nomination, I ran- Do a Charlie in, Crist on him. In a different township, <laughs> and it was a councilmanic type. It was a tiny little district. It had like- I think eight precincts in it, and I did not. I came in second. I ran both. You could cross file, so that was the only uh, thing I had. You know, you always make noises about it. You think about it, but you know, it's funny, Josh. In the time that I've been alive, when I was young, as I said, you know, 1968, it's all anybody wanted to do, and I think that the best and the brightest were attracted to it. But you know, as you get older, and as the price and the the, the texture of everything has changed, not only politics, it's. You know, I'm a middle class guy, and you see these guys in politics nowadays. It's just, oh, it's just, well, so really hard thing to stomach. Plus, I have a wife and three kids. Right, I'm a provider. Well, so I want to get there because that's kind of the the main thrust of what I want to talk to you about today. But this is also somewhat biographical. So, out of law school, what was your first job? Out of law, oh, out of law school, I was a political junkie. I worked for Sam Morris. I was an administrative representative, administrative assistant to a state rep. And was that in Philly? That was in uh, yeah, Philadelphia area in Chester County. Okay, and what did that entail? Basically, I was an A, but I was effectively a gopher. Sure. But I worked on a campaign. And how long did you do that for? Did that for a year. And then what? Then I was a party chairman in 1983 of the Jordan Township Democratic Party. Okay. And then in 84, I got serious. I said, you know what? I'm going to practice law, but I'm not going to do it in Pennsylvania. Why not Pennsylvania? Well, you have to understand, back then, there was the terms you don't hear anymore. You used to hear the Frost Belt or Rust Belt, and you heard a term called Sun Belt. 
I heard I heard the Sun Belt brought up today as Sunbelt, yeah. one of the paths to victory that Joe Biden can supposedly. <laughs> and in nineteen eighty one, when I was, you know, coming up when I was a younger person, there were cities such as uh, Houston, Texas and Tampa, Florida and Phoenix, Arizona that held this lure that somehow you thought, well, if I go there I'll have more currency or it's it's a new culture, it's a different sure. culture. I was just really kind of burnt out on the whole northeastern scene. I still am. I still defend the Valor Floor. I'm a Floridian. Yeah. I don't work for the Eagles or the 76ers. I work for the Tampa Bay Rays, the Buccaneers, and the, well, maybe not the Magic, but, you know, I defend Florida. I think Florida is a great state. Well, it gets a bad rap. We're a better place having you in it. Yeah. Um, so uh, you make it down to Florida, and then what, what's your first job? Oh, uh, in Florida, then I become Joe Lawyer. I work, I'm a clerk for an insurance defense law firm in Sarasota. I clerk for the District Court of Appeal for Judge Vincent T. Hall. <laughs> then I, uh, I went to the public defender. I worked briefly for a law firm in Melbourne, Florida. Okay. Uh, became introduced to the vicissitudes of private practice. Then vicissitudes. I went to work for, uh, for uh, the public defender between 1987 and 1991. Was that Jagger or who was the... That was a guy named Judge Lucky. Okay. 13th. He is since deceased. Oh, you were in Hillsboro. I was in Hillsboro. I did not know that. That's where I met my lovely wife. Okay. Uh-huh. Is she an attorney too? She's a registered nurse. She's an oncology okay. nurse. Okay. Uh-huh. Now, how, how how far apart are you and Pete? Peter is, uh, I don't want to embarrass him. He was born in 51. I'm so you guys weren't at law school at the same time? Actually, we were. Peter okay. went to law school. Peter was one of the smart ones. He went to law school when he was a little older. Right. Had a little, yeah. bit of, <laughs> a little bit of wear on the tire. <laughs> he knew what he was doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, public defender in how many years? Uh, four years. Okay. And that kind of seems to have left its print on you as far as what you would do thereafter. Yeah, I did move back to Philadelphia. Oh, I didn't know that. In 1991, yeah. I had uh, two years there, worked for a small firm, and I moved back to Florida in 1993. So I'm a double reverse carpetbagger. Are you Are you barred up there still? Yes. I, well, I'm inactive, but I, I did pass the Pennsylvania Bar. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then when did you fully go out on your own? I fully went on my own in 2006. Really? Yeah. So, so when I was at the state, I knew you, but who were you? Oh, I wait, was wait. with McFarlane Gold from that's right, that's right to 04. Then I was with Jim Stack. I went back to Jim Stack. Stack Simpson Hernandez was there between uh, 05 and 06. And, you know, Josh, you do the arithmetic of it. And, uh, you know, Keep going, you're fine. I'm just gonna this being part. an associate at a retail law firm, which is what I was, and being a solo, it's six to a half dozen. Yeah. So I just figured, why you know, I'll pay my nine forty ones. I'll I'll deal with the. Uh, it's the only thing a big firm does for you, and of course, you know you. <laughs> How did you find your way into that Warnos case? You wake up every day unemployed when you're a solo. Uh, war- now, when I was working for Warnos, uh, when I worked Warnos, I worked for an agency called Capital Collateral Regional Council. And that was up in Marion County, wasn't it? No, it's, there's three of them, and it's okay. actually it's you compare it to a statewide public defender. It's kind of a statewide prosecutor. There's three of them. And there we appointed. I had Lori Chain in here who worked in that on some in some capacity up from Newport Ritchie. She did. Did yeah. she do contract work? Or she was she public s- defender, I think. She she did Warnos, and she yeah. also did uh, Bobby Joe Long. Yeah. Well, she was a trial attorney. Yeah. Yeah. She's a very fine attorney. Um, but I did post conviction appeals. I didn't do any trial work. Okay. And post conviction refers to that phase when they're they're done the direct appeal. And then they're going after 3850, which can be either uh, Brady material, assistance. that's a third, newly yeah. discovered, or, and they never use the word ineffective assistance. They never use it in the statute. Okay. But that is the most popular 
avenue on that. <laughs> I've, been, yeah. I've been in the crosshairs of that <laughs> at least once in my Anyone life. Anyone who has practiced. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, and then in 2006, you said you went out on your own? I went out on my own. Now, I've, I've been to one of your offices out there on like, was it Boy Scout or off of? Well, I had one, 2100 um, rail on US 19, which was very was not accessible. I guess it was Vizzles on 19, so I thought I was making it. And then I moved to, um, to uh, that boy said, Sunset Point Road. Okay. Where I was for four years. Okay. And currently I'm in Oldsmore. Okay. So you're moving towards me a little bit <laughs> gradually. <laughs> the building got bought. <laughs> All right. Well, so the the main kind of reason whether the listener gets it or not is is it's impossible to have a conversation with Joe or walk by Joe without there being some political <laughs> component to it. It's just it seems to be always on your mind, whether you're reading a biography you know, avidly reading the paper, watching the news, you seem to be a, about as keyed in as anybody can be. And you've sent me some comforting words in this last weekend, but I remember you sending me comforting words in 2016 and we all <laughs> know how that went. I remember you so, calling me when Comey announced the reopening of the Hillary investigation. Yeah. I remember that call. Well, I had Mike Kenny call me at about 2.33 a.m. in the right, morning right. and then uh, Dr. Jack Davidson called me thereafter and I could taste blood in my mouth. I never <sighs> felt so... Ill in my life, so um, I'm I'm interested in having this conversation with you. I think a lot of the things that Trump had going for him the last time he doesn't have this time, but I'm scared. Everybody has that. Uh, someone's called the re what was it? The, not the recency bias, but the everybody's so shell shocked by 2016 they're afraid it's going to happen again. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. the 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 there was a lot of never Hillary people, which I don't think people are that. Uh, anti-Joe. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is Trump was an unknown quantity. And now he's a known quantity, I think. So mm -hmm. I think a lot of those middle-of-the-road people who went his way aren't there this time. What are your thoughts on that? Well, the one advantage Trump has is the same advantage Jimmy Carter had when he, he uh, uh, defeated Ted Kennedy. It's called Air Force One. He okay. is the president the of the United States. Sure, yeah. And, I, you know, you've seen him you know, everything from having events at the White House to uh, – he hasn't really dispensed the largesse the way Jimmy Carter did in 1980. Jimmy Carter absolutely bludgeoned Teddy Kennedy with that in 80. So he has that going for him. Uh, but I think he had the same problem he has as what Hillary Clinton had in 2016, and that is shelf life. Yeah. I think the country's exhausted with him. Yeah. Um, and he's – you know, it's funny. He, he criticizes Biden, who is old by any standard, whether or not Trump's attracting him. But – Trump was a lot – we're all different looking when we were younger. He was a lot better looking and a lot more cogent when he was like 44. Yeah. He has – he's 73. He's – I don't think he looks that well. I have concerns about his health. That job will age you, as you know. For sure. Um, look what it did Obama. Look what it did anybody who's gotten in and out of there. But I, I agree with you. I think that the the COVID-19 thing is going to be to him what the Iran Contra thing was, the Iran hostage thing was to Jimmy Carter. And what the depression was to Herbert Hoover. How do you think voter turnout is going to be? I, I, I'm here. The, I've heard the, the the what do you call it, early voting was insane, uh, but they're saying today whether it's big turnout or little turnout is going to make all the difference in the world. Well, it typically is larger during a presidential year, as you know, and I think it's going to be higher now. And uh, I, you know, it's look the polls are wrong in 16. They were apparently wrong in 48. They were wrong. People forget this, but uh, Barack Obama was supposed to beat Hillary Clinton in the 2008 New Hampshire primary. He didn't. Right. The polls were wrong then. Um, 
but I, you know, I'm doubling down and I'm, I'm, I'm calling, if you want my prediction, I'm calling for a thrashing. I think it's going to be down ballot too. Biden. That I don't know about. I'm not so sure if we're going to take over the Senate, but I do think that Biden, I think that Trump is going to be skewered the way Herbert Hoover, the way Jimmy Carter was. The state of politics today has seemed to, you know, at least in my lifetime, gotten to its darkest, <laughs> you know, darkest facet now. But the thing I always remind myself is, you know, there was slavery, there was Watergate, there was segregation, there were assassinations, Funny. there's wars oh. of convenience mm -hmm. or for political means. Mm -hmm. So we haven't seen those things in the last four years. Do you uh, think he's the worst president during your lifetime? Unquestionably. Do you think he's the worst president of them all? Unquestionably. Worse than Buchanan. There was an article on Friday, uh, The New Yorker and Noam Chomsky. Did you happen to read it? I didn't. Oh, do you, do you I follow I am familiar with Noam Chomsky. He's from uh, MIT, right? He's up that way, yeah. yeah. And he's one of the, he's kind of the last of a, a dying of breed. Of a, yeah. yeah, he's in his 90s and still just as sharp as they come. But yeah. He had some interesting things to say about – I know it's very hack to compare him to Hitler or he, com, compare him to Mussolini. But he he had this metric by which he said those people were trying to gain power and the horrible things they did were a byproduct of them gaining power. Whereas Trump is deregulating and doing certain things that are certain to hurt mankind in the long run and it's – it seems to be the goal more than the byproduct of the goal. So in, in that way, he kind of couches him as pretty much one of the worst people ever. Well, it's like Joe McCarthy is president. And as I, it's funny you said about – I said to my wife, who was pretty distraught when Trump got elected in 2016, I quoted the great Martin Luther King, we shall overcome. Um, this country has been up against – I mean, you look at the, the specter of racism in the 60s, sexism in the 50s, <laughs> ism-isms. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, we've been through some pretty – horrible period. The 20s were horrible. People forget this, but pursuant to the Espionage Act, you didn't oppose World War I or you went to jail. We ask Eugene Debs. So, you know, we have a, a I don't think Trump's uh, anything other than a symptom. Okay. But the problem I have with, I have so many problems with him, but he's such a horrible role model. Can you look at your son and say, you want to grow up and be like that? Or my daughter and just <laughs> say, look how he treats women. Times. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he, well, he's a 50s man. He's Hugh Hefner. He's Bill Cosby. He's a 50s man. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way men were raised back then. Well, another concept that seemed to be illuminated and refined for me in, in reading this article, and I, and I guess I've always kind of known it in the abstract, but he kind of connected the dots for me a little bit more, is you've got the 1%. And these highly, highly, highly wealthy people, people who will never have a voting majority, they have to hitch their wagon to somebody. And it's not going to be minorities. It's not because that's just never going to be a union that has any longevity to it. So they hitch themselves. And I don't know if it's the Southern strategy or what, but they allow this bad behavior on the part of poor and middle class whites, whether it's xenophobia, you know, uh, homophobia, extreme nationalism, fundamentalism, whatever the isms are, as you, you just mentioned, and basically say, we're going to give you someone who scratches that itch for you. But when that person gets in, they better deregulate and cut taxes. And give us a right-wing Supreme Court. And it seems to be this yeah. kind of marriage by circumstance and necessity between very di uh, disparate parties, but kind of they have each other to hold power as the counterpoint to the, to the liberal party. 
Do you do you see that? Is very, that very cynical? You know, they criticize George Soros a lot. Here's a guy with billions of dollars who gives it away for the good. I mean, you look at the Koch brothers or Richard Scarf or any number of these hideous people on the right. They just, as you said, they just want the tax cuts. They yeah. want someone to pr- preserve the status quo, which is what Trump does. Do you see us? Uh, you've you've mentioned how resilient you find this country to be. Do you think there's a a bright future, a possibility of a bright future for politics, a return to form where it is more of a something to aspire to, something that's a moral, ethical. I mean, as much as it ever could have been. Well, look, Josh, politics like law, like religion, like media is an institution. It has changed. I don't know if you saw the movie Hacked, if you know much about Cambridge Analytica. You know, I I talked about my earlier days being a political uh, activist. In 1982, there was a thing called the index card. And you would (laughs) literally manually write down, wrote information on it and, and use it accordingly. Nowadays, that stuff is instantaneous. And you know, being a lawyer, the marketing, the way that the, oh. the younger lawyers are marketing now, there's the PDF stuff. Oh, that, I just finally watched uh, that social dilemma on Netflix last night. Uh, Have you seen that? No, I, I got to limit my Netflix. Well, <laughs> well, you should. But this, uh, it, it talks about- this TV. It talks about how if you do a Google search or a YouTube search, depending on where you are geographically, you're getting different results. If, yeah. you're, in the, if you're in the Bible Belt and you're-, you're researching things it's giving you conspiracy theories if you're up in the northeast it's giving you more liberal and they're trying to maximize your screen time anything they can do to keep your eyes on the screen but it's talking about how what a tool this is now in political warfare between internationally nationally locally you know but it's not just politics it's what you and i do it's the profession we're in sales whatever you're real estate yeah it's the practicing medicine, I'm sure. You know, it's it's horrible. I have this conversation with my therapist all the time that to run a successful business, you've got to market. But the last thing I want to do is market myself. The last thing I want to do is sell myself. The last thing I want to do is talk to somebody about money or how much they owe me or like that. All that stuff is so perverse to me, but I, I don't know how to get around it doing this work. Well, as I say to my kids raising them, this is a capitalistic consumer society. Yeah. And everything's of value. And it's more so nowadays than it used to be. Right. You know, back in the 1960s, you had phrases such as starving artists and the nobility of poverty. You don't hear that anymore. Two great books I'd recommend. One is Bobo's in Paradise by David Brooks. And the other is uh, The Unwinding by okay. Packer. Okay. The Unwinding is a very good book. And they talk about just it. it there's no middle class anymore. Yeah. You have to be into the money, but it, it again, things are so much more expensive nowadays than they ever used well, to be. Well, I was thinking of the, the, the usual suspects uh, quote that the, the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing people that he didn't exist. <laughs> and I think the greatest trick the conservative Republican Party ever played was convincing people that they were who are being taxed and they're who yeah, they're know. part of the ownership society. Yeah. yeah. yeah like, they're entrepreneurs. It's like you make, you know, 50 grand a year, your wife makes 30 grand a year. It, it, you're, you're, don't worry about your taxes. I think you're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, so you've, you, you call it in favor of Biden. What do you see for Trump over the next couple of years? Do you well, think he unfortunately, gets he's prosecuted? Gonna... Do you think he gets... <sighs> There's a great article in The New Yorker called Why Trump Has to Win, and it talks about the enormous financial liability is apparently incurred. Now, my older brother is a very smart guy, 
seems to think, oh, you know, if he gets reelected, he won't have anything to worry about because the banks will write it off the same way they wrote off the housing crisis in 08. Um, he's not going to go away. He'll be as much of a norm-shattering force as an ex-president as he was as a president. He'll openly criticize Biden. He'll probably set up something on OAN or one of the other right-wing media entities, Sinclair perhaps. Um, and, you know, until his dying day, will always be just sort of a bloviating type of presence. You know, he's if he loses the presidency, which I predict he will, he is going to, you know, not have that megaphone. And that's going to kill him. I mean, that's going to... Well, really I forget who it was. Who are the... Uh the war room, the guys who did Clinton. Um, Carville, James Carville. Yeah, it was Paul Begalia. Paul Begalia? Begala? No, not Paul Begala. It was the, no, it's the Greek one. George Stephanopoulos. Stephanopoulos. Mm-hmm. Um, Wrote a great memoir, by the way. All too human. You should read it. Did you ever see the documentary now, Takeoff on the War Room? I got to send no, it to you. No, I haven't seen it. There's a Takeoff now. Yeah, I've a, seen the War Room. It's a mockumentary of the War Room. Yeah. It's actually, it's it's a local government race. It's pretty funny. Anyway, I think it was Carville, but someone was saying that if he loses now, he could run again the next election. He could run in 2024, but he won't. And I'll tell you why. You don't think that he's Ted Cruz or Nikki yeah. Haley, yeah, he's going to be forgotten about. Right. They're going to cotton Marco Rubio. You have all these other ambitious young Republicans. So tell me what you think a, a Biden presidency looks like. You know, I was a sophomore in high school when Biden was like to do the math. Um, and uh, the one thing I like about Biden, I think Biden's going to be a very effective president. I think like Richard Nixon, he understands the levers of federal government. Um, he's going to make America normal again, as the saying goes. Um, the only question I have about Biden is he is 77. How long will he serve for before it goes to Kamala, whom I love, by the way? I love her, too. She was I my mean, first choice. He said it was, he was a single-term guy from the he outside. You can't say that, though, Yeah, until the mid Well, I hope I, – what I'm excited to see, uh, apart and aside from him winning the election, is what kind of cabinet he puts together. I'm interested to see who holds those posts and who he picks because that's one of the biggest parts of this that people – either get or they don't get and you know you look at the 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 ragtag group of narrative wells that trump kind of strung together i just having some people who actually are qualified for the position having our foreign uh ambassadors kind of replenished you know having people who actually have a background in in whatever it is that they're being put in charge of right you know that'll be refreshing and the thing I really like about Biden, where he contrasts favorably with Trump, first of all, the thing they're overlooking, he's a much better politician than Trump, much better. Joe Biden got elected, and it was Delaware, which was a small state, but he got elected in 72. Now, if you do your history, 72 was Nixon's sweet, was a tsunami. He beat a very popular incumbent. Uh, now, he never ran anything other than Delaware, but they, they always say Joe Biden was a third senator from Pennsylvania. Because yeah. Del- I grew up in Chester County, which borders Delaware. Biden was very much kind of a political figure from Pennsylvania, but uh, he's a very decent guy in the way Barack Obama is, in the way Bill Clinton is not, in the way John F. Kennedy was not, in the way Teddy Kennedy is not. I mean, I love the Kennedys, but they were not clean living men. Well, I I don't know how much of this is sensationalized or dramatized for election reasons, but I've seen some of the interaction with him and Hunter where he's like, I love you, my beautiful son, and all this even knowing, you know, and, and that just... That was a relationship I had with my father. And, you know, I, I wasn't a cokehead, whatever. But I, 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 I miss male 
the showing of love between men, and I say that in the least perverse way possible, but I think that's a missed art form and something that's important as a counterpoint to toxic masculinity. Uh, and so seeing him, you know, have that relationship with his son, knowing that he lost a son, knowing that he lost a daughter, knowing that he lost a wife. I mean, he has been put through the paces and has that compassion and empathy that I just think Trump's incapable of having. Oh, yeah. And I think that's where he's contrasting better with Trump. Now, he does get some heat. I know there was the uh, Clarence Thomas Mm -hmm. thing and there was some zoning issues, his view on marijuana, um, some other stuff that he catches heat for. But one of the things that he said, which sometimes gets treated as a as a as a as a negative is. The ability to evolve and grow and change your mind on how you see things. Now, I know if I recall, you're not a big marijuana advocate. Completely anti-marijuana. Right, right. Anti-inebriant. Which has always interested me being an Irish Catholic from the (laughs) Northeast, but an Irish Catholic liberal. (laughs) And to quote Congressman Joe Kennedy, I experimented with it about a thousand times and I enjoyed it. I I grew up in the 1970s. Yeah. Of course. But, I mean, I feel like some of those – not necessarily above board viewpoints he had. It was more of the time than of the man. And he's kind of evolved past that. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I favor the legalization of marijuana and I favor, I'm, I'm very much pro LBGTQ. I was thinking about that today. But again, I was born in 1956. So Joe Biden was born in 42. We were of a generation where it's kind of hard to break away from that template. You can only be expected to grow so much. I have some conservative bones in me. Yeah. But uh, then again, in 1972, when I was 16 years old, I'm, I'm, you know, crushed when George McGovern loses the election. I mean, I was always left of center. Right. But again, of that generation, I mean, you look at my demographic now, white male over 60, most of us are Trump supporters. Right. The guys of my- And attorneys uh, too. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? kills me well i know you got to get out of here by two we're getting close to 140 so i really appreciate you coming by Josh, uh, it was a pleasure thanks for having joe me. is just an amazing human being he's an amazing <laughs> attorney uh you don't get over to tampa too much in your practice do you every now, now and, and again then, you know you step on your brother's toes well you know what it's like i mean you know you either side of the bay but i, I think it's like the american league and the national league i mean i think right i just know this driving over here today is a different scene over here yeah, and and kind of there, it is a different world. You know, I'm of Pinellas County, but now I've been in Hillsborough so long. When I, I live over here, oh, yeah. I've been over here. I've worked over here longer than I've worked over there. So, well, a lot of you guys have from the states, right? Like, I, I go over there, and I, I I start to feel a little bit of ring rust now in dealing with people. Um, it's it's just weird. That office, I mean, that office. <laughs> God, I I I'm, I pray for the day that there's a, a changing of the guard over there. Oh, boy. Well, anyway, thank you so much for coming by. I really appreciate it. If you guys are looking for a family law or a criminal defense attorney over in Pinellas or you want to know more about the Kennedy family, you should uh, reach out to Joe. Let's go into Chicago and win there. That was his last words before he was gunned down by Sirhan Bishra. All right. Take care, Joe. See ya. See ya. (laughs) 